So I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name is Nathan, and uh, it's really a privilege to have you here, and I hope that this is really a challenging morning and an encouraging morning. I'm very excited about this content. I've been working on this for a while, and I, I think it's good stuff. Here's a question to start off with. Have you been tempted this week? Have you? Thank you. Have you felt the pull um, maybe toward behaviors that you believe to be harmful or wrong? Have you felt enticed maybe by the offer of, say, a donut or uh, freshly baked cookies, which you'd already resolved not to eat? Maybe you considered telling some of the truth, revealing part of the story in order to represent yourself as favorably as possible. Maybe you were unusually interested in a picture of a beautiful person and battled to pull your thoughts away from fantasy. Have you been tempted this week? Here's another question. Have you been tested this week? Have you felt the pull towards behaviors that you believe to be harmful and wrong? Maybe you felt enticed by the offer of a donut or freshly baked cookies that you'd already resolved not to eat. Maybe you considered telling some of the truth, revealing part of the story, in order to represent yourself as favorably as possible. Maybe you were unusually interested in a picture of a beautiful person, and you battled to pull your thoughts away from fantasy. Have you been tested this week? What's the difference between a temptation and a test? Think about that for a minute. Why do you sometimes say it's a temptation? Other times you say it was a test. A common response may be something like, well, a temptation has to do with something that's bad, and a test has to do with something that's good. So let's try that for a minute. Was the donut example a temptation or a test? Was the telling the whole truth example a temptation or a test? What's the difference between being tempted and tested? Maybe there's very little difference at all. Maybe it comes down to a matter of perspective. I was working out with some guys last week, and towards the end of the workout when I was tired, a suggestion hit my mind that I should do another set of 10. Was that a temptation or a test? And then as I was nearing the end of that last set of 10, a suggestion hit my mind. Maybe I should stop at eight instead of doing the full 10. Is that a temptation or a test? And then as I finished and I stood up to recover and I put my hands behind my head and I walked away from the group, I noticed an attractive woman running and a suggestion hit my mind to look again. Was that a temptation or was that a test? What's the difference between a temptation and a test? From a biblical perspective, the difference between being tempted and being tested may come down to the intent of the one that's putting the suggestion in your mind. In fact, 
the language of the New Testament, which is originally written in Greek, the word for temptation and the word for test is the same word. Whether it's translated into the English word temptation or the English word test seems to depend on the context. Here's two examples. In James chapter 1, James writes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then here's an example from John chapter 6. One of the accounts of Jesus after he miraculously feeds thousands of people with a few loaves and a few fishes. John writes, when Jesus looked up and saw this great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then John puts this comment in, verse 6, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So, The word that James writes for what God does not do and the word that John writes for what Jesus just did is the same word. And here's one of the most interesting and the most challenging sentences in the Bible for me. And this happens right after Jesus is baptized. Uh, After somebody in our community is baptized, we throw a party. We bring in a taco truck. There's a big celebration. None of that happens. Jesus is baptized. The last sentence of Matthew chapter 3 is, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The very next sentence is, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What in the world? I mean, this, is, this, is, this really should make us go, how is this work? This almost appears like the spirit and the devil are working together. Led by the spirit. I want to be led by the spirit. To be tempted by the devil. I don't want to be tempted by the devil. And where does all of this happen? It happens in the wilderness. It happens in the wild It happens in the desert where it's not always clear who's putting the thoughts into your head. Was that God talking? Was that the devil talking? Was that just me talking? We've asked these questions. This is real life stuff. You've asked these questions. I've asked these questions. We've asked each other these questions. Sometimes it's not really clear who is doing the talking. Later, looking back on the situation, that's when sometimes we're able to discern accurately, oh, that was definitely God, or oh, that was definitely not God who put that, mind, that thought in my mind. And sometimes all that we know in the moment is, here's an opportunity, do I take it or do I leave it? So let me suggest a, a new word. Is it a temptation? So typically, we think of temptations as a bad thing. Is it a test? Typically, we think of a test as a good thing. I'd like to suggest a new word. What if it's a trial? What if it's a trial? I think that's a more helpful word. 
I think it's a more neutral word. I acknowledge that even the word trial may have good or bad connotations for you, depending on your experience. But I want to suggest that we consider temptations and tests as trials in which we have the power to believe or not to believe the truth. In which we have the power to believe the truth or believe the lie. What is on trial specifically? Is it the truth that's on trial? No, it's whether or not we believe the truth. That's what's on trial. It's whether or not we will live in light of the truth. That's what's on trial. And the temptation or the test, call it what you want, will reveal what you actually believe. It will make it clear like a trial what you actually believe. For the season of Lent, we're preaching through this series of sermons based on these two stories from the life of Jesus, the story of his baptism and the story of the temptations in the desert, which immediately follow the the baptism. And we've titled the series, The Benefits of Temptation. And that's also the title of the book that we wrote, uh, that we recently put out. I thought I had a copy of it up here. Um, That's available in the bookstore. It's called The Benefits of Temptation as well. I love this title, Uh, not because I want to sound cocky or cavalier about temptation, but because I want to invite careful curiosity about temptation. I love this title because I love the play between the words benefits, which is typically seen as a good thing, and temptation, which is typically seen as a bad thing. But what I'm ultimately excited about and wondering is what we might learn from temptation, And what we might learn even more specifically from the ways we ourselves very personally are tempted. So here's here's the thing that um, captivated me years ago and that I'm still interested in. I want to study this even more. Temptation is a universal human experience. Everybody experiences temptation. You don't have to be young to experience temptation. And you don't have to be Christian to experience temptation. And you don't have to live in North America to experience temptation. All people from all time, all places, all philosophies, all religions have dealt with or are currently dealing with temptation. And most people just give in. Most people just succumb. Most people just do what they feel like in the moment, even if they know that they're going to regret it later. I do this with ice cream all the time. I regret it like 15 minutes after the last bite. Most people just give in. They just give in. Most marketing really boils down to, you know you want this. And that's all it really takes. It doesn't matter if we believe it's good for us or bad for us. Marketers know that we have not developed our wills. Marketers know that we don't have much resilience. Marketers know that most of us will just buy, do, eat, go wherever we want to, whenever we want to. Most of us just give in to temptation. Some of us fight it. Especially religious people, especially fitness-focused people, especially people who have a a challenging, long-range goal. Like for Christians, it might be to honor God. Or for a runner, it might be to finish a marathon. And so instead of giving in to temptation, oh, they'll fight it. They'll resist it. They'll push back. They'll flee from temptation. They will turn 
around and run away whenever they feel like there's temptation coming. Those are the two main options, right? When it comes to temptation, those are the two main options. Option A, just give in to temptation. Option B, or run away from temptation. Listen, giving in to temptation is not healthy. Running away from temptation is not sustainable. What if there's a third option? Giving in is not healthy. Running away is not sustainable. I mean, most of you can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. I wonder how long can you run without not being able to run anymore? Most of us can make great decisions for a little while when we're alert, when we're hopeful, when we had a great night of sleep, when we've just had a good meal, when we're surrounded by an encouraging group of people, we can make really good decisions. But our resolve dips considerably when we're confused, when we're sad, when we're hungry, when we're tired, and when we're alone. That's when we should run away from temptation, when we're sad, alone, depressed, tired, hungry, and yet that's when most of us will just fall right into temptation because we don't even really have the resolve to run anymore or maybe even the care to do so. Giving in to temptation is not healthy. Running away from temptation is not sustainable. Here's a third option. What if we faced it? What if we just turned and faced temptation? What if we carefully considered what is going on here? What if we were very honest with what we want and why we want it? What if we considered our past experiences as evidence and our future hopes as testimony and we engaged temptations and tests like a trial designed to reveal the truth and then to invite us to believe it? What if we leaned into this human, this universal human experience that is a regular part of every single day of every single one of our lives in order to learn the truth and then in order to live in light of the truth? In other words, in order to experience the benefits of temptation. Let me ask two questions. Here's the first. But aren't we instructed to flee temptation? Right. Some of you are feeling, uh, I think, a bit uneasy at even the suggestion that there might be anything beneficial associated with temptation. And that would be totally understandable. After all, the writers of the New Testament books use some very strong language to warn us about issues related to temptation. Words like resist and flee. Jesus himself, on the night of his arrest, told his disciples, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. It's easy to pick up a general sense of alarm about temptation. There's a popular translation of the Lord's Prayer, which includes the phrase, lead us not into temptation seems to pose temptation as the problem. A little sidebar, 
I would argue that a better translation of that phrase, lead us not into temptation, is save us from this time of trial. That's actually how it's rendered in the Book of Common Prayer. And that's because, as we've already seen, James is clear that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. So asking God to lead us not into temptation has confused people for a long time. There's probably a better way to put that. If temptation is bad, of course we should run from it. But a closer look, friends, reveals that it's not temptation specifically that should cause us alarm. It's sin. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to be delivered not from temptation, but to be delivered from evil. Paul talks a lot about temptation, but he actually never says flee temptation. He says flee from sexual immorality. He says flee from the desires of youth. He says flee from the love of money. And he says, flee from idolatry. James warns Christians not to resist temptation, but to resist the devil. And he further clarifies, and I've just read this, but I'm going to read it again because it's probably the most helpful um, section on temptation in James. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, I grant that in our daily struggles, we rarely, if ever, Um, wrestle independently with desire and then enticement or deception and then temptation and then sin. It all comes upon us at once like a big storm. We we usually don't have the ability like Neo in the Matrix to just kind of slow everything down. It comes like a big storm and it's reasonable um, to respond to the oncoming storm by getting out of here, just running away from it, right? It makes sense that we would flee in the face of temptation. It makes sense. The run away from temptation response is understandable. My concern is it's not sustainable because in real life, temptation is constant. You're going to experience it every day. Turning and running at the first hint of temptation It may result in a life that feels characterized by fear. It may result in a lifestyle that basically is perpetual escapism. Or worse, or worse, becoming exhausted, deciding resistance is futile, and then just just giving in. Just finally giving in. Neither option is healthy. What if we could slow things down enough to recognize the various elements of this full storm coming, specifically the difference between temptation and sin? The writer of Hebrews makes this distinction very clear. The writer says Jesus was, quote, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Clearly, temptation is a thing. Even Jesus experienced it. And clearly, temptation is not the same thing as sin. Have you ever been standing 
Uh, have you ever like heard a storm that just intensifies with like the level of, of, um, of, of noise and, and power on the roof of your house that you get up and you walk to the window, even in the night, and you come up to the glass. What is going on out there? You feel like you want to see it? There were several storms a couple weeks ago where it just was so intense on our house that we stopped what we were doing, we walked up to the window, and we looked outside to try to see what was going on. And this didn't happen a couple weeks ago, but occasionally in the middle of the storm, there's a flash of lightning, you know what I'm talking about? And for an instant, you see with amazing clarity everything that is out there just for an instant. Temptation can do that. Temptation can do that. Typically, we're so wrapped up in the storm and in surviving the storm, desire, deception, temptation, sin, that whole mess, that we are, we're just trying not to be overcome by it. But as part of that fuller storm, temptation can reveal critically clarifying elements of our surroundings where we go like, oh my gosh, you see that? That's right there in the middle of this storm. Or it can reveal parts about ourselves with clarity that we maybe don't see otherwise. Like, I'm afraid. That's what's going on here. That's why this is so powerful, because I'm afraid. These could be really helpful things to discover. Now, I don't want to be... Uh, unwise about potentially destructive storms or situations. I'm not encouraging us to go out on some big open field during a, a lightning storm and hand kites to our children and say, run around and learn about temptation. That's not what I'm, I'm not encouraging that. But neither do I want to teach my kids to spend their whole lives running away or pretending they're not tempted. Hmm. I don't want to be unwise about potentially destructive situations, but neither do I want to lay down in defeat or encourage a, a Christianity that's characterized by pretending. I think we can, and I think we should face the storms. And the reason I think that is because Jesus did that. In fact, as we have pointed out, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And for good reasons, and in a second, we'll consider just one of them. But this first question that I'm asking this morning is, doesn't the Bible teach us to flee or run away from temptation? And I think the right answer is actually Jesus teaches that we would pray, teaches us to pray that we would not fall into temptation, that we would not give into temptation, in other words, temptation is a constant part of the human experience. Jesus was tempted in all ways, just as we are, and yet Jesus was without sin. We're not specifically told to avoid temptation, as if that were possible. We're told to avoid sin. Apparently, that is possible. Here's the second and final question. What benefit could possibly come from temptation? Well, here's just one. Temptation can reveal where I am misplacing my identity. Jesus' identity is clearly declared in his baptism. A voice from heaven, the voice of the Father says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then, in other words, the truth is declared. Who is Jesus? He is the son of God. Then he's led by the Spirit, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. And the devil first 
He tempts Jesus to turn rocks into rolls or bread into uh, stones into bread. In other words, to use his own power to meet his own legitimate need for food. And we might think, what is the big deal? It's just bread. But see, it's not just bread. It's not even about hunger. Okay? The devil starts by challenging Jesus' true identity. If you are the son of God, the devil says, turn these stones into bread. Tell these stones to become bread. What is on trial is Jesus' true identity. Is he or is he not the son of God? And more specifically, will he or will he not believe that that's who he is? Will he or will he not live in light of who he has been declared by God to be? The temptation or the test will reveal the answer. That's why the temptations of Christ are so important. They reveal the truth. Jesus resists the temptation to root his identity in his own sufficiency to make bread out of stones. And instead he roots his identity in who his father declares him to be. And this is the same with us. It's the same with us. Our true identity is declared in baptism. When you're baptized, you make vows or promises, or if you're baptized very young, someone made them on your behalf, which is also a biblical pattern. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you believe Jesus saves you? Yes. By the grace of God, will you follow Jesus for the rest of your life? Yes, dunked into water, symbolizing death to self, raised up out of water, symbolizing new life, full devotion, entirely committed to this truth. I am a child of God. And then it's into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested by the devil. How does he tempt us? All sorts of ways, but the deceiver's goal is always the same. It is to convince us that we are not who God declared us to be in baptism. We are tempted in all kinds of ways, maybe to base our own worth and our own abilities to prove our own value and our own accomplishments, tempted to be in control. These are common battlegrounds, but the very specific ways that I am tempted or that you are tempted reveal where we tend to misplace our identity. In fact, the place where I am most tempted is the place where the battle is most intense, and it is where I most tend to place, misplace my identity. Let me give you some personal examples for the sake of clarity. I hope this is helpful. My true identity is child of God, but my temptation to constantly work reveals my tendency to place my value in what I do. My true identity is child of God. He loves me because he loves me. His love for me is unconditional. There's nothing I did to deserve it. There's nothing I could do to to diminish his love for me. But my temptation to exaggerate my success reveals that I am misplacing my value, not in God's love for me, but in other people's sense that I'm important or in my own accomplishments. 
My true identity is child of God. That's who I am. I belong to him. He's my creator. He's my redeemer. He's my sustainer. But my temptation to be admired by others, especially by those that I see as important, reveals that I am often driven by a desire for acceptance. That I often elevate that desire for acceptance to a a level of highest priority. I am accepted by God in Christ. That's my true identity. But I misplace my identity. I literally mistake who I am when others' acceptance becomes my highest priority. And what's the clue? What's the clue that I'm headed in these misguided areas or misguided directions? What's the hint that something which might not seem like a big deal for you is actually a big deal for me. What's the hint? What's the cue? What's the sign? What's the flash of lightning? It's that I'm feeling so tempted. You would walk by the same thing and not be tempted by it. Because you're not, you don't tend to misplace your identity in that same thing. I'm super tempted by it. What a gift. That's showing me where I tend to misplace my, is clarity for me. We tend to think of temptation in terms of what we're drawn to do or not to do. But that's not what temptation is actually about. In other words, Jesus' first temptation wasn't really about bread. His first temptation wasn't even about hunger Those were all part of the storm that he was facing, but the temptation was about where are you going to place your identity, Jesus? It's about believing that when the father said, this is my son whom I love, the father meant it. That's what it's about. The fact that turning stones to bread was actually tempting to Jesus was just a sign that something way bigger was going on for Jesus. And the fact that, fill in the blank for yourself, the fact that drinking this, or eating this, or watching that, or lying about this, or saying that, or doing that, the fact that fill in the blank for your own life is so tempting for you is a sign. Something way bigger is going on around that. About what? Something bigger is going on about what? About your identity. That's what it's about. About your identity. Something bigger is going on about who you believe, actually believe yourself to be. Something bigger is going on about what you actually believe is true about you. Here's the big question. Do you believe what God says about you is true? Do you believe what God says about you is true? Because that's what's on trial, friends. That's what's on trial. Do you believe that you're loved by God? Do you believe that you're loved unconditionally by God, no matter what? Do you believe that you are made for God to be in relationship with God and that true fulfillment comes within the context of a right relationship with God? Or will you choose instead to misplace your identity in something else? 
Sometime in the next few minutes, or maybe in the next few hours, you're going to be tempted. And the next time that you feel tempted, that's your next opportunity to live in light of this truth. That you are who God says you are. You are a beloved child of God. And the next time you're tempted is your next opportunity to put your belief in that truth into action, to live in light of that truth. What an amazing opportunity. And that's just one of the benefits of temptation. Amen. Let's pray together. We're grateful, Lord, for your goodness to us. I'm so thankful for such a common, all-day-long kind of reality that provides opportunity for me to choose to believe what you say about me is true. And I pray for strength to do that increasingly. I pray for clarity to do that with joy, believing that when I say yes to you, I am saying yes to the truth who you made me to be. And I just pray that instead of sweeping temptation under the rug or into the corner, we would face it boldly and learn from that experience more and more all the time about who we are and who you have declared us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.